Chapel Street Church family, can you guess where I am? I'm here at Kane County Cougar Stadium, and that means one thing, the return of our stadium service. August 29th, all of our campuses, all of our venues coming together in one place at one time right here to worship our one good God. You won't want to miss this. We're going to have baptisms here together, worship together, celebration. You can register for you and your family at chapelstreet.church slash stadium service. You can also pre-order food for you and your family because this is going to be an event you won't want to miss. The theme for this year's stadium service is Welcome Home. And of course, we're welcoming all people back together as we launch into the fall ministry season but it's also a chance to welcome us back home to the love of Christ as we regather as his church. So don't miss August 29th, right here at the Cougar Stadium for stadium service. We'll see you there. We are so excited about stadium service coming soon. Encourage you to make plans, put it in your calendar, and join us on August 29th. It's going to be a great day of worship. Well, again, it's so good to be with you today. It's been a while, probably about a month since I've been with you all here on a Sunday morning at the Mill Creek campus. And uh, many of you may not know this. Uh, in the past month, uh, my wife Judy and I actually shared some news um, that this December we are expecting our first child. And so, thank you. I'm going to keep announcing it as long as people keep applauding, and so we are, uh, we're very excited, a little bit nervous, of course, but it's been just a joy to, to share that news with loved ones, with uh, friends, and with family, and of course, with our church family. It's been interesting. One of the questions that we've gotten the most um, since we shared that news, and maybe you were planning on asking it, and so if you were, I'll save you some time. Yes, we are going to find out if it's a boy or a girl, but we don't know yet. Uh, I know some people, everyone has a different opinion about that, and we all come from different places. For, for me, I want as much information as possible for this new life that I'm going to be responsible for, and so we are planning on finding out. And then the next question is always, well, how are you going to share the news? I don't know when this became a thing. I think it's a somewhat recent trend, but maybe you've heard of them called gender reveal parties. Maybe you've been to one or you've done one where, uh, where people will come up with, with these creative ways to share whether their baby is going to be a boy or a girl. And so some people will get like a cake and the inside of the cake will be pink or it'll be blue or they'll have balloons and you'll pop it and there will be like powder on the inside and it's just fun and it's great and, and I enjoy them a lot. But sometimes people do these and it, they take it a little bit too far to the point where it goes wrong, and occasionally they make the news. And so I brought with me some headlines of gender reveal parties gone wrong. Go ahead and put the first one up. Australian gender reveal party goes wrong as car bursts into flames. I think they're having a boy. Uh, go to the next one. This one honestly scares me. They thought they built a cover gender reveal device. It turned out to be a deadly pipe bomb. I don't know if I should laugh about that. Uh, next one. Uh, gender reveal party, maybe you heard about this one. It triggered a, a wildfire causing $8 million of damage, and then a couple years later, another one happened. I think this was last year, where like all of California was on fire because someone wanted to announce their baby. Um, and then I think I have one more. A fight over confetti broke out at an Ohio Applebee's. Now, we don't have proof this is Pastor Sterling, <laughs> but we also don't have proof that it's not. That's all I'm saying. So to answer those of you that are going to ask, we probably will keep it simple. Uh, we'll probably try to stay out of the news and avoid criminal charges. That's our goal as a family. Today, though, we're continuing this series that we started just last week called Seven. 
this exploration of the first few chapters of the book of Revelation, this, this letter written to seven churches in the first century. If you were here last week, you might remember that Pastor Jeff kind of gave us an overview of how to read and how not to read Revelation. We learned that the primary purpose of Revelation is not to show us what the end times will look like, although it does partially do that. But instead, the purpose of Revelation, just like a gender reveal party, is to show us or to reveal to us more of who Jesus is, to show us his power, his love, his holiness. So if you missed that message, I want to encourage you to go back and watch it online. It's kind of going to be our guide and and help us as we explore passages that may be difficult to understand or confusing to us. We talked last week how when it comes to reading Revelation, we can make two mistakes. Number one, we can obsess over it for the wrong reasons, and we try to become these kind of end-time prediction experts. Or we can allow all of the confusion and the weirdness of it to, to keep us from reading it at all. And so today, we're going to try to find a middle ground between those two things as we begin this exploration of a letter by reading the first eight verses of Revelation chapter 1. This section serves as the the prologue, the, the introduction from the Apostle John, who shows us how he received this revelation as well as some of the purpose of it. We mentioned this last week, but this is the John that followed Jesus around who wrote the Gospel of John as well as the letters 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And during the time of of this letter, he had been exiled to an island called Patmos. And according to what we read today, while he was there, Jesus sent this revelation through an angel to give us this letter. In what we read today, John is going to point out three things, three descriptions of Jesus. Three things that I want you to take from our time today as well. And so we find them in verses 4 and 5 of Revelation chapter 1. Let me read this for you. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. So three things, did you catch that? Three things that we must observe from this passage. We see a revealed witness, a revealed savior, and a revealed king. And so we're going to start with a revealed witness. I want to read the first three verses of this letter. We looked at this a little bit last week, but we're going to dive into it a little bit more today. So this is Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written, written in it, for the time is near. I wonder if you've ever uh, maybe gone somewhere or, or bought something or had an experience that affected you so much that you just had to tell someone. You couldn't keep yourself from sharing the news. For example, a few years ago, uh, my wife Judy bought a certain brand of phone case, and shortly after buying that case, she dropped her phone down four flights of stairs. Don't ask me how she did that. I don't know. 
But then the next day, she dropped her phone in water, and the phone was completely fine. There wasn't anything wrong with it, and she was so excited that she was just telling everybody about this phone case. She was just like going up to strangers on the street, like, hey, try this case, and, and she was posting about it online. Like, I honestly thought that they were paying her for all this marketing that they were doing. She'll talk about it today if you want. Just go see her after service. It'll be great. For me, mine's a little bit different. Uh, we lived in Columbus, Ohio for about three years, and, and in Ohio, there's a restaurant called Raising Cane's that I absolutely love. Some of you might have heard of it. They actually put a Cane's in just a few minutes from here, and, and um, some people will tell you that the food is too greasy. Those people are wrong. It's amazing. They've got fried chicken. They've got fries. They've got Texas toast. It's all so good. Um, in fact, I actually preached this message last night, and I talked about it so much that I talked myself into getting it, and I'm starting to do that again now. <laughs> And I think I should start preaching about salads. Um, maybe you've had an experience, though, where, where you've done something or bought something, and it just was so great, so impactful, that you just had to tell someone that it could no longer just be an internal experience, but something that you had to share with others, where you became a witness to what you saw, bought, or experienced. In verse 5, John uses this term about Jesus, a faithful witness, someone who is trustworthy someone whose account can be believed or relied on. In verse 1, we see this idea again that Jesus has revealed himself, that is, through the revelation of Jesus, that we see the character of God. This is something that sets Christianity apart, that, that God, as big as he is, as holy as he is, as just as he is, was willing to show us who he is, to show us his love, to show us his forgiveness, to show us his mercy. He was willing to show himself, to reveal himself to us by his son. The one who is a witness to his character. The one who is in very nature God. In other words, if you want to know more about God, if you want to know if God is good, if you want to know if God loves you, if you want to know if he is worth following and worth worshiping, then all you have to do is look to Jesus. Jesus himself says this in Matthew 11, verse 27. He says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. See, this is why you can trust that God cares about you if you feel lost or confused today. Because Jesus said, I have come to seek and save the lost. This is why you can trust that God weeps when you weep and mourns when you mourn and grieves when you grieve because Jesus wept and grieved too. This is why you can trust that God loves you even when you don't feel like you deserve it, when you don't feel like you measure up because Jesus said, I have come not for the righteous, but for sinners. And he proved it to us on the cross. He is a faithful witness, and this faithful witness reveals himself. He sends an angel to John, and, and look at verse 2, where John refers to himself as a witness as well. It's a reminder for us that just as Jesus is a faithful witness to who God is and what he has done, we are to do the same with our lives. That faith was never designed to be simply an internal belief system, but something to be shared with others. That if we can be a witness to a, a phone case, if we can be a witness to a chicken place, then we have also been called to be witnesses to God's grace, the forgiveness and the love that we have experienced. 
I love how John talks about this. Look at verse 3 with me. It says this, Blessed are those who read the word, who hear the word, and who keep what is written in it. Pastor Jeff talked about this last week, that this is the way that we should interact with all of Scripture. First, by, by reading the word. That if you want to be a witness of who God is, then you have to get to know him. That you have to read his word and how he has revealed himself through it. That part of our daily and our weekly rhythms should be reading and considering the God that is revealed in the Word. Second, by hearing the Word. Now think about this for for just a second. For you to hear the Word, someone has to speak it. It's this idea that, that if we are to be witnesses, to grow in that, then there must be people in our lives, friends, small group members, mentors, mentees, people who will encourage us with the truth of the Word. I wonder if you have someone like that in your life. I wonder if you are that someone in somebody else's. And then third, and probably hardest for many of us, by keeping what is written. In other words, knowledge and encouragement without action is not enough. There's a phrase some of you might be familiar with. Um, Maybe you've heard someone say, I almost lost my witness today, or I'm about to lose my witness with this guy. If you haven't heard it, um, you might use it if you're driving behind someone going 10 below the speed limit, and you're running late, and you don't want to honk your horn or cut them off because you have a church bumper sticker. You're like, I don't want to lose my witness. That's just a hypothetical, of course. That never happens to me. But I think what John is saying is that we as people and we as the church are all witnesses of God in everything that we do. That in every interaction with a coworker or a classmate, Every time we post something online, every time we fight traffic, everything is an opportunity to be a witness, to show others the character of God, just like Jesus did. And too often does the world look at the church and see nothing but a reflection of itself. A while back, Judy told me a story of of a friend she had who was a a waitress uh, whose least favorite shift was Sunday at lunch. Because she said that there, at that restaurant, that church people had a reputation for being overly demanding and ungenerous. Friends, the world needs to see something so much better than that. The world needs to see the goodness and the grace and the mercy of of God and of his son. So much more than it needs to be reminded how lost it is. The world needs a church that cannot help itself from sharing the love that we have experienced from sharing how knowing God, how experiencing that love has transformed us for the better, to be better parents, better spouses, better neighbors, better friends. Not perfect, but growing in love and forgiveness. The world needs faithful witnesses of who God is. Let those witnesses be us. John continues. He gives us his second description of Jesus here as a revealed Savior. Um, One of the best interview questions I've been asked came a while back. I think it was interviewing for the job I had before coming here to Chapel Street. And, and, you know, we were talking, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? I'm a perfectionist, blah, blah, blah. And and then they asked me, um, how would the people that know you best describe you in a few words? And I thought about that for a second, and I kind of laughed because the people that know me best would not take that question seriously. And they would say something like, oh, you know, he's terrible. Like, he's a bad worker. He'll steal from me, you know, just to mess with me, as all good friends would. Have you thought about that, though? How would someone who know you best answer that question? How would they describe you in a few words? In fact, I was preparing for this message, and I I texted Judy that question. 
This is what happens when you're married to a pastor, is your life just becomes one long sermon illustration. Um, and, and as she responded, which she did with, with very kind words, I realized something that I think we all know to be true. That the more someone knows and loves you, the more someone means to you in your life, the more what they say about you matters. You know this, right? This is why what, what, what the people that know you best, your best friend, your, your spouse, your family member, the person that you are closest to, what they say about you carries more weight than what some random person you don't even know says about you. This is why the words that we speak over our kids and our grandkids, our parents and our grandparents, should be taken seriously. They matter. They have weight. And this is what we see in these few verses. Let me read verses 4 to 6 for you here. Again, it says, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, and who was and who is, who is and who was and who is to come. Oh, I missed the line. Sorry. Let me go back. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So notice a few things here. Notice, first of all, in verse 4, look how John shows us the Trinity. He says, the one who is and who was and who is to come, that's the Father, the seven spirits, that's the Holy Spirit. And remember what we talked about last week, that in Revelation, numbers are often more about meaning than they are about measuring. And so when, J- when John says to the seven churches, that was seven literal churches, but also to the church, as seven is the number of wholeness or completion. And so John here, when he refers to the seven spirits, he's actually referring to something all the way back in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. It talks about the Spirit of the Lord, and there are seven descriptions It says, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. So spirit of the Lord, of wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, fear of the Lord. That's the Holy Spirit. And then the Son, Jesus, and we see these three descriptions. Witness, firstborn, and ruler. This word firstborn is an interesting one. It's used oftentimes in reference to Jesus throughout the New Testament. In fact, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, it says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So Jesus, being firstborn of the dead, shows us two things. That as firstborn, he was due in inheritance. That all power, all prominence, all supremacy belongs to Christ. And then two, as firstborn of the dead, what happened to him to have power over death, to have a second life, is the inheritance of all those who follow him. So John is saying, this is who your Savior is. Someone with all power, someone with all authority, who has proved himself to be greater than death, who has proved himself to be equal to the Father and equal to the Spirit. He knows you better than anybody. He knows the good, he knows the bad, he knows your sin, he knows your shortcomings, and yet he loves you more than anybody too. So much so that he was willing to die for you. This is why what Jesus says about you matters. This is why it matters more than anyone else in your life. And look at what he says about you. Look at verse 5, that you are loved, that you are freed, and that you are being made in his kingdom. 
And again, look at how John writes this. Look at the order of the words that he uses. We see here a truth that maybe you need to be reminded of today as well. That even before you have been made into his image, even before you've been freed from sin, that you have been loved by Christ. It it is impossible. You cannot look at the ministry of Jesus. You cannot look at the work on the cross. You cannot look at the miracles that he has done without seeing this truth. That in the midst of our sin and in the midst of our struggles and in the midst of our strongholds, that there is love available to us. That love comes first. And love is available for you no matter what. We are loved, we are freed, and we are being made into a kingdom. This is the identity that Jesus has given you. There's a lot of thoughts in our our world right now about identity, about how to form it, and who should form it, and what place God has in the process. And I think this is why it matters how we see Jesus, having a clear picture of him as he has revealed himself to us. Because if Jesus is your Savior, And if he knows you more than anybody, and if he loves you more than anybody, then what he says about you should matter more than anybody. And this is what he says, that you are loved, that that your life is precious, that he cherishes you existing, that you are freed, freed from the power of sin, not by your righteousness, but by his, and that you are being made, that we as a church are being made into a kingdom, that in his love and in his freedom that he desires for us to grow, to pursue holiness in every part of our lives, to be transformed into his image, that he might have glory and dominion. You might have a lot of thoughts about your identity, about what defines you as a person. The world certainly does. But to be a follower of Jesus is to say, above anything else, before anything else is true about me, This is what is true, that my Savior defines me as loved, freed, and made, and there is nothing better than that. This is who I am. Then finally, John shows us the third description of Jesus as we see a revealed king. Let me read the final two verses of our section today. Verse 7, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So John ends our passage today with these words, and and just a few things I want to point out to you from the text. Some of you might know this already, but but God saying I am the Alpha and Omega is significant, basically uh, the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. So he's basically saying, um, I was here in the beginning, and I'll be here in the end. It's like if anyone's parents ever said, I brought you into this world and I can take you out of it. But, you know, less threatening than that. You hear this term a lot in the world of sports, where someone is called an alpha dog. What does that mean? That they're the leader. That they are the one in charge. That everyone takes their cue from them. The same is true of God. That as our creator, as the one here in the beginning, that we take our cues, that we follow him, we orient ourselves around him, not the other way around. And yet he's also the Omega, the one who will be there until the end. If you read through the the whole letter of Revelation, uh, you see this a lot. There's this promise that we see in uh, chapters 21 and 22 especially. This promise of the new heavens and the new earth coming down and this new kingdom being established. 
God has not abandoned you. He has not left you. He has not forsaken you. He is not asleep at the wheel. He is working. He is building. He is working towards this promise, a time where all will see him for who he truly is. And then finally, we see that our king and his kingdom are coming soon, that every eye will see him. In other words, when Jesus returns, it will not be a secret, that the world will see and know even those who deny him. We'll look at this more next week, but but later in chapter 1, John describes seeing Jesus and, and says that his eyes are like fire and his face like the shining sun. We see that unlike the the first coming of Christ, the the second, the the return of him, will not be one of a humble baby in a manger, but a powerful and glorious king coming to establish his kingdom forever. This is the hope of the one who has put their faith in Christ, that one day and soon this kingdom will be established. This is the hope for you if you find yourself burdened or overwhelmed by shame or hurt or loss. This is the hope for you if you find yourself afraid, afraid of the future for yourself, for your family, for the nation, for the world. This is the hope for you if your faith has been tested and you're holding on, but it's not always easy. This is the hope for you if life has not always been kind that you know this truth, that you know, as it says in verse 3, that the time is near, even if it's taken longer than we'd like, even if we don't always understand what's going on. We are not just running the clock out in our lives, but we are waiting for a new kingdom and an eternal king. We are waiting with hope and with expectation. Like I said, many people have asked if we're going to find out if we're having a a boy or a girl. And and one of the more convincing arguments that we heard to not find out uh, came from someone who shared her experience with us. And she said in her life, for for her and for her husband, there was nothing like the nine months of wonder and hope and expectation that they had while they waited to find out. And for them, that hope and that wonder led to this beautiful surprise when they met their baby girl for the first time. It struck me. It, it really made me think, not enough to not find out. We probably still will. But, um, but I was struck by this idea of, of waiting for something that you don't fully understand, that is a mystery to you. I think this is where we find ourselves at this point in history, waiting for something that we do not know. I don't know what it's going to look like when Jesus returns. I don't know when it's going to be. I don't know if any of us will still be around. But what I do know is this that the time is coming, and soon, where his kingdom will be established. And it's going to be so, so good. So stay rooted in the identity that he has given you. Stay faithful in your witness of his love. And wait with expectation for his kingdom to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do ask right now that you would just Give us a sense of your comfort and your peace. Lord, that you would be with those that are waiting for you and it feels like they've been waiting forever and and wondering where you've been. God, I pray that you would remind us to be faithful in our witness of you, that you would allow us to be comforted by your love, that we would be rooted in who you are as our true identity. We love you so much and we pray this in your name. Amen.